Welcome back, Elise DeLucci Show, episode 90. We are in the home stretch. We have stuff to talk about today. But before I start, let me just say, I cannot believe I am almost at 100 episodes. I can't believe I've done this the last past year, this podcast. And, you know, for the new listeners, this all started because during the pandemic, I was on TikTok and, you know, I'm comic going around doing my thing. And someone says, oh, not someone, people started emailing me, influx of emails and messages. Can you do a a podcast? Can you have a YouTube channel? Where can we see you? And I'm just like, I'm just one lady. But I decided to do a podcast and uh, and then next thing I know, it, it explodes and I get all these listeners. So I'm, I, I thank you for listening um, and supporting me. And oh my God, this is a crazy journey. And maybe one day when this podcast actually makes a couple of dollars, we can have a cocktail and celebrate. Anyway, fact of the day, do you know that the funny bone is really a nerve? It's not a bone? You know, sometimes you hear a fact or somebody tells you something and you're like, it took me this long in life to figure out that's what it was. This is like the time I think I realized that a spork was a spoon and a fork. <laughs> but the funny bone, it's not a bone, it's a nerve. It's, it comes from the humerus bone that connects the shoulder to the elbow. But when you bang it, the, the, the sensation, the tingling sensation that we get, it's not when you just bump your elbow. It's the, it's the, it's the bone that comes in contact with the ulnar nerve. And it, that responds and tells the brain and the pinky feel tingly, whatever. Who cares about the details, right? Who cares? Anyway, I news to me. Thought I'd share. I don't know if uh, you guys, you know, are big bakers, like to bake cookies or whatever, but I got this cookbook a long time ago. It was a gift, and um, it came from the card store, so I had everything to say about it. I think I went to, to take, I think I took it to the talk, and I was complaining. It was like some holiday, some little holiday, and my boyfriend gave me a little, little token gift, and he gave me um, a cookbook, and it was from the card store, and I was so insulted. I, You know, the thing is, is that it was a very nice gesture, and maybe in retrospect, I shouldn't be insulted, but I was like, you bought me a card from the card store, and you wanted to get me a little gift, and you just decided to buy something from the store? Like, what did you do? Were you at the register, and you were like, yeah, this looks decent, can you wrap it up? And the thing is, is I would. This is how crazy men are. I wouldn't even know the book was from the card store if he didn't give it to me in the card store bag. Anyway, you know, potato, potato. Maybe it's not a big deal to you, but the book. You know, I was kind of like, I got the book. I was like, Ugh, what effort? I, I want you to suffer. Go through the stacks of books at Barnes and Noble. Go through the links on Amazon. Anyway, I he didn't do that. So uh, the book is called 100 Cookies, and it's by uh, a girl, Sarah Kiefer. I only touched this book for the first time around the holidays, and let me tell you something. The book is good. It's good. So, okay, here's the thing. 100 Cookies. You need to look into it. You need to get it, or Google one of the recipes. Mm. This girl, Sarah Kiefer makes, you know, it's a recipe book of 100 cookies. She makes chocolate chip cookies, and she calls them pan-banging cookies. Have you heard of this, pan-banging cookies? I don't know what it was. 
And she's describing the, these pan-banging chocolate chip cookies as being banging. No pun intended. No, she's saying they're great and um, they're nice and thin and crispy. And, oh, I love crispy chocolate chip cookies. I love Tate's cookies. Oh, my God, I love them. And, by the way, if you're ever in the Hamptons and you're in East Hampton, you could go to the Tate's cookie store and it's just a cookie explosion. You're going to go out spending hundred dollars, hundred cookie. You're going to go out and spend hundred dollars in the cookie store and then you're going to be like hating your life for, for the next week. But anyway, I love those Tate's crispy, crunchy cookies. And by the way, Trader Joe's has a knockoff of the Tate's cookies that are just as good. So Sarah does these pan banging chocolate chip cookies. They are amazing. And the recipes in the book, and I don't, you know, sometimes you get these cookbook recipes, particularly maybe dessert books or a, a, a book that specializes in one thing, and you kind of realize that the recipe is just uh, done over and over and over again. It's not that great. <clears throat> just different varieties, the same base recipe. That's not really the case in this book. But the thing with these pan banging cookies is you make the, the dough, whatever you do, right? And then you bake the, you know, you line the cookies up on the baking tray, you pop them in the oven. And about halfway into the baking of the cookies, so maybe it's like after nine minutes of them baking, you open the oven, you take the pan with an oven mitt or whatever, and you bang the pan. Bang, 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 bang. Bang that pan on the, the, the rack of the oven. Bang it hard. Not so the cookies go all over the place, but you know, you bang it hard. And what happens is the cookies that were puffed up baking, they now depuff. These are, this is not these are, these are not scientific terms around here at the Elise Delucci household. You know they depuff, they get flat, and then you cut. You know you you close the oven back up and you bake them for another six seven minutes whatever. And um and when you take the cookies out, they are still flat and they are crispy. And the crispiness comes from the that 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 the puffiness going down right. I've tried this on other cookie recipes that I've made. Bang the pan halfway through, and it works. So if you like cookie, if you like cookies, if you bake cookie recipes, try this. Try this. I have it. I don't make slice and bake cookies. I used to like when the kids were young and if they wanted something, and I just was in a rush. I I don't know if it would work with uh, like a slice and bake. You know the dough that you buy like in the the, the refrigerator section, the supermarket, because that dough tends to be very dense, and sometimes it's already you know like you know it's like a it's like already like a chunk for you. It's like a little uh, circle already, you know, pre-cut. And and it seems to be dense. I don't know, though. Try it. it. Pan banging. Look it up. The book is 100 Cookies, Sarah Kiefer. I really loved this book. Okay. Let's talk about this Joe Rogan situation. I didn't know if I wanted to talk about this. Because I, you know, it has to do with like COVID and anti-vaxxers. And I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not a political person. In fact, like I, I can barely watch the news. It like triggers me, you know, I get like all kinds of anxious. I watch the political debates because it's just a spectacle, like when they're on. But I, I, I'm always like, do I believe this? Do I think this? Do I think this? I don't know what I think. I think both people sound good, you know, like, and I think there's nothing wrong with saying stuff like this. Like sometimes, you know, you just, you don't know what to think, Right. But I like to avoid political stuff, especially in this day and age, because next thing you know, you're losing followers, you're losing fans, you're losing whatever. So anyway, but this Joe Rogan situation isn't a political thing. It's more um, 
like the freedom of speech. So if you don't know, Joe Rogan, which I'm sure you do, Joe Rogan, he gave, you know, he Joe, let me say this. Joe Rogan has the number one podcast in the country. He is the number one podcast in 90 markets. He has the biggest podcast, like probably in the history of podcasts, right? It's and and his podcast is only on Spotify. That's the only place you can listen to his uh, podcast. And because it's so successful, Spotify gave him a multi-year deal for 100, brace yourself, $100 million. So for multi-years, they gave him 100 mil to be the sole distributor of the Joe Rogan podcast. Great. Great. And here I am doing this for nothing. And $100 million. 100 mil. Oh my God, generational wealth, beyond generational wealth right there. Anyway, so he gave him a hundred million dollars. And that's that, so that's that's his relationship with Spotify. Spotify is the platform that distributes the podcast. So Joe Rogan has all these guests and everybody loves his show and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he gave airtime, you know, he he interviewed some anti-vaxxers and you know, talked to them about COVID and blah, blah, blah. And there has been this uproar. All these people are removing their content from Spotify. They are banning Spotify. They're saying, Spotify, how dare you do this? How dare you air this? How dare you not cancel Joe Rogan? He has such influence with his podcast and you're letting him go on and just talk about anti-vax and and all these people that listen to him. When you have that kind of influence, you can really hurt the public, right, with this, uh, you know, a virus and pandemic that's going on. So that that that's that's what that's what's happening. He interviews the anti-vaxxers, and there's this huge uproar in the world, and from a lot of artists and podcasters and singers, songwriters, whatever, saying, you know what, screw this pot- Spotify. You don't want to. You don't want to um, police Joe Rogan. We're uh, we're out. So that's that. So Spotify's stock has been tanking. They're losing, obviously, uh, you know, listen views and all that kind of stuff because everybody's, uh, you know, up in arms. But this uh, begs the question. Well, let me say, and the other thing about this is, you know, this this goes on and uh, Spotify comes out and says, the CEO says, we are keeping Joe Rogan on. We are not going to cancel his podcast. We're not going to take him off the platform. He attracts more listeners than he repels, essentially, Right. So we're, we're keeping him on, and uh, it's basically too bad about all you people that don't like what he's talking about. And Spotify is saying in not so many words, if you don't like it, don't listen to it, right? So the question really is here is, should your platform, your podcast platform, or whatever platform you use, if you're on Facebook or Insta, Instagram, these, <clears throat> these are platforms, should your platform edit your content, you know? Should they edit your content? Because a platform is just a distribution, is you know just the, the just the foundation to distribute whatever messaging you're you're putting out there, whatever it is. But it's not a publisher, you know, and 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 you get into this gray area, right? Because it's because in a public in the world of publishing, this is I I lived in this world for many years. In the world of media, they make their money through advertising, right? And um that and so and but the publishers, for example, if you're Vogue, your biggest advertiser at Vogue might be Chanel. So, but you also have editorial guidelines at Vogue. Your editors and writers only write about certain things and you don't curse in the magazine and da-da-da-da, whatever. 
And you all have a specific voice. And that's how you get these advertisers like Chanel, right? And they spend millions and millions and millions. Well, the thing is, is that podcast platforms aren't a publisher, even though they still have that ad revenue model, right? But the thing with podcast platforms is they almost are a publisher. It's a new kind of publisher. It's user-generated content. It's like Facebook, but it's obviously audio, right? Anybody could make a podcast. Anybody could get their stuff up and running. Are you going to make advertising dollars from it? No, not if you don't have a giant listenership like Joe Rogan, Um, but that's how it is. Anyway, so does your platform get to censor your content? And the reality of the situation is uh, it, it's a debate. It is a debate. And I, my personal opinion on it is that we live in this country that has freedom of speech, and I think that that should be allowed. However, if you have an influence like Joe Rogan, if you have the number one podcast in 90 markets, and you really can influence people, you have to self-censor. You, Joe Rogan, have to hire an editor. You have to have, I'm sure he has tons of people. You don't have a giant podcast like this and not have a team helping you run it, but he has to have editors. He should have the editor. He should go get the edit, one of the old editors of the New York Times or, you know, I don't know, the old, one of the editors of the journal or something. Have them come on board, have, hire them, put them on your team. Maybe he has this. I don't even know. Let them help you curate your content a bit. Let them help you figure out what you could, should, maybe stay away from. Because at the end of the day, Joe Rogan might believe all this anti-vaxxing stuff. And that's his personal opinion. But should you put that out there? And I don't really know the answer. I think you should because it's freedom of speech. But I also think that you have this kind of influence. I think you really probably need to censor it a bit. I don't have that level of influence, obviously. So I don't know. But I think it's a difficult uh, situation. But all I know is that Spotify doesn't have editorial responsibility for his podcast. Um, and and like I said, Joe Rogan has and his team have complete creative control. But, you know, my thing is, you know, Joe Rogan, funny comic, nice, great podcaster, you know, very successful. But it's like, Joe Rogan, I don't know. I don't know what you should do here. I don't know. I think you should be able to say whatever the hell you want to say. But maybe if you have something that's controversial on your podcast, if you know that it's going to stir up a little, you know, business, maybe you should put a little, you know, censor on the the, the, the write-up of what the podcast, that specific episode content is about. Maybe before you start talking, maybe you should say, hey, this is a thing. This might be a trigger. This might, You might not agree with this. This is very controversial. Or maybe you should do what corporate America used to ask their employees to do on social media. Maybe you have to say, hi, welcome to the Joe Rogan Show. These people that I'm interviewing don't express necessarily my own opinions. They're their opinions. But I'm bringing this to you and I'm going to, you know, talk to them and I'm going to play off them. And, you know, this is not medical advice. This is entertainment and do with it what you want, right? I think that there should be a little bit of censorship, like self-censorship, I should say. But do I think Spotify should take him off? No, I don't think he should take him off. I think he's a platform. And I think we live in a country of freedom of speech. But the other thing is maybe Spotify wants to take him off. But do you really think that Spotify is going to say goodbye to their biggest content creator that brings in all kinds of advertising dollars? I mean, you have to understand, if you work at uh, uh, Spotify and ad sales, you're probably getting, you know, Jeep 
and Ford trucks, you know, the head of marketing over there calling up Spotify. They're calling up the, 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 the head of marketing at Spotify and they're saying, hi, I'm the head of Jeep marketing. Hi, head of Spotify marketing. I want to, or Spotify sales, I want to only sponsor the Joe Rogan show. Here's 50 million bucks. Spotify is not going to walk away from that money. So, you know, it's like, come on, if you have a store, are you going to tell your biggest customer not to come back? I, you know, I don't know. This is a, these are difficult questions. But if you have influence, where does, where, where, where do you, where, where do you draw the line? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. You know, um, it makes me think about though, when all these, uh, award shows are on, you know, and the celebrities, you know, they go and they go on the, the podium to accept their awards. And Barbara Streisand is notorious for this. She goes up there, she accepts the award and she does a fucking 10, 20 minute dissertation on her political views. Do I think her political views are wrong, right? I don't care if they're wrong, they're right. I don't care if you know, I, I I love Barbara, and I'm curious to hear what she thinks about that. But do I think that that's the appropriate forum? No. Do I think you should be using your celebrity to push political agendas? No. I don't think anybody should. But do I think you should use your celebrity for good to help humanity and all this? Yes. And then, you know, maybe this is where Joe Rogan is a little bit wrong. I don't know. It's it's difficult. It's really really difficult. It's really difficult. It's really personal. Um, and uh, I don't wish to be on the Spotify general counsel team at all. On this note, though, it's funny that, you know, we're talking about this because on the note of what should you say, what should you not say, I had this thing I wanted to tell you guys, and uh, you, you, you need to, like, this, this is, this is, it's, this is, this is a little yucky. So if you don't want to hear something yucky, dirty, you know, Go, don't listen, mute it. Or if your kids are in the room, please turn it off. Um, okay. So I think I tell, I tell you all the time, I go to these open mics for comedy, right? And the open mics um, are these, you know, uh, little sessions where all the comedians, beginner comedians, mid-level, big guys, we go and we try out new material on a stage in a club in front of only our fellow comics. The public could come in and watch if they want, but it's not a real show. It's the comics. We go up there with notes, whatever. We work out the bits. And this is a private, it's, you know, but, it, but, but the kind of a unspoken, unwritten rule is this is a private room where um, we could say and do whatever we want because we are uh, performers and we're trying to work out <clears throat> these pieces. Um, and of course, unlike a Joe Rogan, it's not broadcast, but anyway. So I'm at this open mic the other day. I got to get your opinion on this. I'm at this open mic the other day, and there's this young guy. He's maybe like, I don't know, 24 years old. And he gets up, and he was working on this this uh, this set that he has. And he's doing maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes on stage. And all of a sudden, he starts doing uh, this joke, air quotes, um, that I didn't find funny, but I'm not supposed to have an opinion, by the way. Um, and he does this joke about how when you're a child, you don't have a lot of memories and we don't have a lot of memories from when we're children. And, um, he wonders if the reason why some children don't have memories is because they were sexually abused. And he, wants to, he was also questioning, sort of like open forum on the mic saying, if a parent doesn't want you to remember something, 
would they engage in this act? And, okay, I'll tell you my opinion after. And then he starts, he really is getting into it, right? And it's really uncomfortable. And he's like, and then he starts talking about 9-11. I mean, the guy, you know, it's, anyway, I'm telling you, comics, some of them are just crazy. He's a nice kid, but I didn't get any of this. I know what, nor did I think nothing was funny. So he said, He's like, like when I was a little kid, 9-11 happened. And my parents didn't want me to remember 9-11, I'm sure. So, but, you know, what if like my father just decided to sexually abuse me um, and, and he starts talking about what his father would have done to him or what he would do. Uh, in if you wanted a kid to to forget about this horrific thing that we had, nine eleven, and he starts doing a two minute act out. An act out is what we call on stage that we would like act out. You know something. If I'm doing an act out of my mother shopping in the supermarket, I'm gonna pretend to hold the wagon and pick the stuff off the produce section and throw it in the wagon. So he's doing this two minute act out on what it would be like to sexually abuse a little boy that's six years old. I went fucking crazy. When I say fucking crazy, I, like, first of all, he's talking about this, air quotes, premise. I'm, like, gasping in the seat. Now, again, I've been doing this for a bunch of years. I've heard everything under the sun. But the one thing that I cannot fucking handle is when people do pedophilia jokes. It's not funny. It's not funny to me. I don't like molestation jokes, rape jokes, pedophilia jokes, but I I can't take it. So I'm sitting in this, and there's no joke about it, by the way. So I'm sitting in my little chair, in my little world with my little comedy notes and my coffee, and I'm waiting my turn patiently to go up, and he's talking about this sexual abuse thing with this little kid and he's doing this act out for two minutes and he's doing it slow and he's showing you know a little penis in his hand and I am like I can't take this I can't take and I stand up and I start to walk out the room I just I don't take my stuff I just walk out the room and as I'm walking out the room this comic says this guy on stage he says oh look at the look look at this old lady she's uh, old lady she can't take it she's gotta go and I turned around in front of a whole room of comics. And I said, I'm leaving the room because it's fucking disgusting. And it's not funny. And it's weird. And I walked out the room and I slammed the door. And that's it. And I waited a few minutes, you know, blah, blah, kind of blew off some smoke. And then I came back in the room and I sat down. And I then sat through, you know, uh, a series of maybe five other comics that went up to do their little piece on the stage literally ripping me a new asshole, excuse my French, they went on the stage and they basically used their stage time to make digs at how I'm terrible and I shouldn't have an opinion on this kid's material and he works hard and just because I don't find it funny, how dare I say it's weird or it's horrible and isn't this the whole point of comedy to go up and bring up topics and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, and I'm so upset while this is going on and I'm texting one of my friends uh, and I'm telling them what's happening and my friend's like, just leave, get out of there. Like, it's a toxic environment, just leave. What are you doing? It's Leave, it's terrible. And I had to make a decision in that moment. Should I leave this room and be like, you know, in my head, fuck all you, I'm leaving because this is disgusting and I can't handle this. And I, I also shouldn't sit here and be abused by a bunch of, you know, young, you know, uh, you know, masculine, testosterone-infused 20-year-old men, you know, uh, trying to hurt my feelings, essentially, on stage by saying I am terrible because I don't believe in freedom of speech and I'm judging what they do. 
Should I leave that room and take myself out of the situation? Or should I sit there and listen to what they're saying about me, wait my turn, and when I go up on stage, address address it. Not do jokes, not do my bitch, just use my little five minutes and address what's going on in the room. And I, I couldn't decide what to do. What would you do? What would you do? I think most of you would say, I would just get the hell out of there. It's not worth it. Who gives a shit? Go to another open mic, right? But I decided to stay. I decided to stay because doing comedy is hard and it's uncomfortable and there are moments where you have on stage that like you want to just die on stage or you're bombing and you feel awkward or you or sometimes in the audience and you're listening to things and you're like, I don't agree with this comic and it's horrible. And you're know, like, Louis C.K. does a lot of filthy jokes and it's terrible. You know, and some people are like, it's cringy, right? But um, this is part of the business. This is part of being a comic. Uh, learning to live and still perform when things are uncomfortable. So I wait and I go up and I address it and I apologize to the kid. I said to him, I said, look, I said, I'm sorry for um, saying that your stuff was horrible. I said, but I said, when you have, I said, but I'm a mother. I said, I'm going to go on the record and say that none of you people are parents in here. And I said, but when you have a kid or a child or when you do one day, I said, you have this visceral gut feeling this gut feeling of like you want to kill anyone that even puts a hands on your child. If anybody hurts your kid, you want to kill. And I said, so I can't handle. I it was a it was a knee jerk reaction. I can't handle hearing you on stage talking about what you would do to a little boy. And I said, and quite frankly, it, there's nothing funny about it to me. I said, and it's in my opinion, it's criminal. I said, but that, I'm sorry because this is a private forum and you should be able to speak your opinion and blah blah. And, uh, and all this stuff. And, and, and that was it. And, you know, and then I also went uh, uh, again and kind of just like um, really reinforced what I, you know, to me what's humor. And, uh, you know, I like to hear family stories and I like to hear things that are relatable and I like to hear people's wacky lives. But I don't want to hear about hurting other people. Like I just, you know, and it, it is my personal preference. And I also had said I'm not a dirty comic, a, which we call a blue comic. I don't, I don't talk really a lot about sex. I don't talk about, you know, nasty things on stage. I just don't. I'm like a family-friendly comic. I might, I'll drop F-bombs occasionally, sure. But I don't, you know, I don't talk about filthy things. So, that was the situation. They clapped when I apologized. That was very nice of them. I appreciate it. You know, and at the end of the mic, they all said thank you uh, for apologizing. They thought that was big of me. Um, but, you know, that was that was it. That was it. That was the situation. And I, and it's similar, it reminded me of the Joe Rogan thing a bit because it's like, What's okay to say and what's not okay to say? This is a private room. It's completely different in the sense there's not amplified. It's not public. It, you know, it's just like 15, 20 people in the room. But I was really disturbed by it. Um, and that's that's a hard part of stand-up comedy because I, who the fuck am I to judge what your jokes are and what is funny? But what I did say to the guy and everybody else in the room is that if in 30 years – 20 years, whatever, you become some giant comic with crazy comedic skills and technique and you know how to go up in front of a crowd of thousands and thousands of people and if you know how to do a dirty joke or filthy 
disgusting criminal joke and you turn everybody off. You have the skill and the technique to be able to throw something else out there to them, to bring them back. You know how to manipulate um, uh, the words. You know how to hone the crowd. You know how to get people to feel good. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people go to comedy just they want to feel good. And I said, but you're not a comic that has these skills. None of us do. I said, so how, who, why are you going up and talking? Like there's so many other things you could talk about. But And I said, and the other thing, by the way, and then I'm getting off my soapbox here, as I told the guy, I said, I don't know if this is something that happened to you, and if it did, I'm really sorry, and if this is your way of making amends, you know, trying to figure it out, then that's your personal business, and you know, whatever. I said, but if it didn't happen to you, or if it didn't happen to a friend, or a sibling, or a cousin, whatever, I said, that means that you had to sit in your room and come up with this idea, and that's the most disturbing part. That there is somebody out there, lots of people out there, that sit in their room and they think about things that they would do to kids. And it makes that, I, and I, I was like almost in tears. I said, that, that's like the, really the most disturbing point. So anyway, that's that. I'm done. Okay. Moving topics, because I got to stop talking about this. You know this bag, Telfar? There's this new bag, these girls. Girls and guys, I see them around the city. This is, I feel ancient. It's called, the brand is Telfar, T-E-L-F-A-R. It's a bag. It's like a big tote bag. It looks like plastic. It looks like vinyl, like, 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 like pleather. And uh, it's a big bag. It's a tote bag. And everybody has it. I've seen it all over the city. But I don't see it when I go outside the city. It's, there. it's, I, I was, when I first started seeing it, I'm like, why is everybody walking around with fake Gucci bags? What's with the fake Gucci bags in the street everywhere? Because it's like the, the the logo is like a G and like a lowercase E. Like it looks like the like a Gucci G, but also an E. And I couldn't understand. Then I found out one of my friends is like, hello, it's a Telfar bag. It's so popular right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is when you know you're getting old, when you don't even know what the cool bags are. A friend of mine told me about a website. I don't know. If you're not in the city, I don't know if it's going to work in your area, but download the app. It's worth checking out. It's called Too Good To Go. Two, number two. Good, number two. Again, to go. Too Good To Go. And uh, it's a cool idea. It's basically companies that have all their food leftovers at the end of the day. They sell them for like super cheap on this app. So if you go on an app, say you're like a college student really just trying to scrape up some dinner or whatever, have no money. You can go on this app and you can, you know, uh, type in your zip code or your neighborhood and it shows you all the restaurants in your area that have food that they're not going to sell at the end of the day and they're kind of selling it for like $2.99 or $3.99 and it's called a surprise bag. It's like, I, you know, the pizzeria. I put it in the other day just to see what happens and then the pizzeria near my house, it's like for $3.99, I, I was able to get like a, this what they call a surprise bag and they said it was a, an assortment of all different pizza slices that didn't sell. Let me tell you something. That's really not a terrible idea. I think it's a great idea. On the restaurant's part, they don't want to waste the food and then... You know, I mean, for, for for everybody else. I mean, you know, like, who doesn't want to have three ninety nine dinner for the next few days? You get the, all these slices of pizza, you wrap them in tinfoil, you freeze them. You know, I mean, it's great. I haven't done it, though. I'm going to try it. Mm. I started watching um, the Bill Cosby uh, show by Kamau Bell. Kamau's a funny African-American comic. And he did this uh, four-part documentary about Bill Cosby and all that scandal. I'm not even going there. Um, 
And oh my God, it's so sad. I, I, I like it's horrifying and sad. I watch it. I've only watched it two so far, but it's a good, I feel like it's a good TV talk recommendation. I loved Bill Cosby. Love. I mean, he's really one of the greatest comics in the world. He's like such an amazing storyteller. And I loved him on The Cosby Show. Um, and I loved him as kids in kid you know, kids say the darndest things, and I loved those Jello commercials, the Jello jigglers, wigglers, and yeah. It, the, but the documentary is horrifying. Um, but I'm watching it, and I'm horrified. I'm finding out things I didn't even know about him. Ugh. This I feel like is a little bit of a dark episode. No, and on the dark note, and then I'm done. I promise, I'm done. One of the listeners, thank you, um, she she wrote to me and she said, hey, Lise, on the last episode, you know, you talked about Bob Saget, Michelle Goh, the poor girl who was pushed in front of the train in Times Square, Louie Anderson, and she said, oh, and you mentioned the girl that was shot in uh, Burger King. She said, I wanted to let you know her name is Crystal Neves or Nieves, and I said, oh, my God, thank you. I'll mention her on the podcast. And, you know, this is the girl, if you don't know, she was in Burger King, I think in Harlem or Spanish Harlem or whatever, working at the register at night and uh, there was a robbery and the guy took the money and then just decided to shoot her and she died. And this poor girl, I looked her up, you know, it was like after the lady gave me the name, Crystal Nieves or Nieves, she was, I can't even believe, she was only three weeks into this job in the night shift at Burger King, three weeks. And, uh, you know, this 30-year-old guy, he walks in at one in the morning, demands money. She hands him $100. That's what he wanted. $100, her life costs $100. She, well, he wanted $100, and um, and then he shot her. And, and this poor doll, um, her mother didn't want her working there. Her mother uh, said, you know, you need to get an earlier shift. You can't work in the middle of the night, whatever. But this poor doll, she was saving money um, to buy a car, and then her larger goal was to save money uh, for school. And, um, you know, I think she was only 19 and just, oh, my God, it kills me. So sad. So sad. I'm mean, like, is Burger King open at 1 in the morning anyway? I mean, just, like, close the shit down. Open a drive through window. I mean, really? And, like, oh, just the city's gross right now. Anyway. I don't know if you saw, I posted on my Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram, at Elise Delucci, I have a new show every Friday starting next Friday, February 11th at Slattery's Midtown Pub. It's every Friday at 9 p.m. I wanted it to be a little earlier, but that's the only time they were able to do. Um, and it's me. Uh, I'm going to be hopefully on every show, most shows. Uh, I'll be definitely on the first 10 or so. But it's uh, my show. I'm producing it and I'm um, getting some of my funny, funny, funny comics, uh, friends and just comedians in the city, uh, you know, they're great. They're great. And everybody's going to do hopefully 10, 20 minutes on the show. And I'm really, um, I'm really excited. It's a lot to put together. It's a lot to do, produce a show, but you know, I want the stage time. And also I think it'll be really fun. It's upstairs in a bar. It's on 36th street between fifth and Madison, Good location, near Port Authority, uh, well, it is kind of near Port Authority, but near Penn Station, near Grand Central, near offices, you know, it's after work, upstairs, have a beer, it's $10 tickets to get in, it's a two-drink minimum, so that is that. Product of the week is, I've spoken about AliExpress before in the past, I don't know if you you wound up ever going on AliExpress, but when you go on the website, it kind of looks like Amazon on crack, it's like all kinds of crazy stuff, but 
you know, I have some friends that shop there and they'll tell me the specific stores that they buy things from. Like the, the they have these little stores. You know, they're not brands. They're, everything comes on AliExpress. Everything comes direct from China. It comes direct from uh, like the warehouse, the manufacturer. So it's like super cheap. They cut out all the middleman. You also cut out the quality control aspect. So, you know, you really only want to buy on AliExpress from either a store that gets good ratings, reviews, or if somebody's telling you about it. So I bought a ton of stuff on there recently for like so cheap. So every episode, I'm going to tell you some of my Ollie buys. But today, this is the one I'm telling you. The store is called Warm Sway. And by the way, all the stores have these crazy ass names. Warm Sway, W-A-R-M. S-W-A-Y. It's called Warm Sway Official Store. You could type it in. And I bought this cardigan sweater for $21. And it's like a almost like a Gucci knockoff. And uh, it's it's a white cardigan, V-neck cardigan sweater, like loose. And a white V-neck cardigan sweater. It has red stripes on the collars and around the neckline. And it has these uh, embroidered bees, like, you know, the, the insect, all over the sweater. And these little, like, pearl pearly buttons. Or, go, no, gold buttons. The butt is, so here's the thing. Sweater came. It came really fast. It came in, like, two, three weeks, which, PSA, if you order from AliExpress, be prepared to wait. It doesn't come overnight, and like Amazon, and it's really hard to return. You can't really return on AliExpress. So I only buy things, like, that are super cheap, um, stickers for the kids, stamps, like, stamping st- sets, you know, uh, maybe little notebooks, and then I buy, like, all this, like, cheapy, like, stuff for me. If I hear about it and it, and it got, gets good reviews. And if I don't like it, I give it to my sisters because it's so cheap. So this sweater, $21, that's not so, so cheap. But it came. It came fast, like two and a half, three weeks, which is fast for Ollie. And uh, and it's cute. It's it's really cute. It looks like Gucci. I put it on and uh, someone says to me like, oh, is that a Gucci sweater? And I'm like, no, it's smoochy. What are you kidding me? Gucci sweater. I'm not spending $7,000 million on a sweater. Who lives like that? Um. The only thing is the buttons are plastic. They're gold but plastic, so they're a little, like, flimsy. So I'm going to tighten the buttons up or maybe even replace the buttons. But it's an adorable sweater. I have Next week I'm going to talk to you about some of the jewels that I found on AliExpress, which are, like, crazy cheap, like $2 and $3. You'll die. Anyway, that's it for the Elisa Lucci show today. We talked almost imitation bags and smoochy sweaters and a lot of dark stuff. But you know what? Sometimes that's life. Quote of the day by Hal Elrod. Have faith in the magic and miracles of life for those, for, okay. Let's rewind that quote as I have written down. For those, for only those. Ah, okay. Quote of the day. Have faith in the magic and miracles of life for only those that do get to experience them. Right, of course. If you believe in the magic and the miracles, you're going to experience it. Why isn't that word? That's worded so, like, is that a wording that's prolific? I can't even, I'm reading that. I feel like it's, it's all over my head, over my head. If you saw me right now, I'm shaking my head forward, over my head. Okay, anyway, that's it. Let's believe in the magic and the miracles, people. Thank you for listening, as always. I'm Elise DeLucci. This is episode 90. Follow me, TikTok, Instagram, and I will talk to you soon.